My name is Joel, and I help um, run the Connections ministry with my wife, Alicia, and I'm just so grateful to have the opportunity to be a part of Novation. That, to me, is what Novation Church is. Bradley mentioned it in the back, that it's just becoming part of a family. It's becoming part of a community, and I just I love being a part of this. We are in the middle of a series. For those of you who are either new or if you haven't been here the last couple weeks, we started a series called Seven Miles. And the idea of this is right after Jesus died and then he rose again, one of the first things he did is he took a walk with two men. And they took a seven-mile walk together. They didn't know that it was Jesus. Their Savior, their friend, the person they had followed had just died. And they thought he was going to restore Israel. So they're walking with all this confusion, all this doubt, all this wonder, and they're just talking with him for seven miles. How many of you have walked seven miles or run seven miles recently? It's, that's a long time, right? Like, this is not a 10-minute walk. Like, they walked for seven miles together. So that's the idea of this. We're in mile three today. In mile three, we call Doubting Jesus. I know there's some, you may be worried, what is this? Are we allowed to doubt Jesus? Well, that's what we're going to get into today, is what does it look like when we're doubting Jesus? So I put together a list. Hopefully this is fun. Some of it's going to be serious. A list of all the things that I doubt there are things in life, because we're human, that we just doubt, right? So some of the things that I doubt is I doubt that I'll ever see a flying car. I think it may happen, but I don't think I'll ever see one. I have a doubt that that won't happen. I doubt I'll ever be a millionaire. It's not really the trajectory that we're on with the kids that we have and with life. And I'm okay with that. I doubt that I'll ever be Miss America. <laughs> Several reasons. One is I'm married. That's probably the first disqualification. There's probably a few others, but we'll leave it there. I doubt that it's going to snow this week, which I know is dangerous in Colorado to make that prediction, but I have a doubt that it's going to snow. Tuesday's grandchildren. I, I think that's the bottom number. I think it's going to be much bigger than that. Um, I doubt that I'm ever going to live up to my expectations for my life. I doubt that we may never be debt-free. I doubt that there are aliens. I doubt that come November that people are going to forget to shop on Black Friday. I doubt that I'm ever going to climb Everest. I doubt that I'm going to ever milk a goat. Or, for the vegans, I doubt I'm ever going to milk an almond either. Sometimes I doubt that Jesus will love me just for who I am and that I don't have to perform. Sometimes I doubt I'm ever going to be a great father. Sometimes I doubt that our yard is ever going to look as good as the Garwood yard. For those of you that don't know the Garwoods, these are my home group leaders, and I love these guys. So another plug for community is if you're not involved in a home group, you need to be involved in a home group. That's where the life comes from me, is with those people and with the other people in our group where I get to know and be seen and know others. Um, I doubt if, the Bron if, the, if God really cares if the Broncos are going to win today. I know the game's starting here in just a little bit. I doubt that God cares if the Rockies keep winning and make it to the playoffs or not. Done. I doubt that we'll ever be empty nesters. I think there will always be someone in our house until we die. It's just inevitable. Sometimes I doubt that God wants to bless me. And what I really doubt is that I'm supposed to chase after that blessing because it feels selfish to me. I doubt that certain family members that I have will ever turn back to Christ. 
And sometimes I even doubt that God cares about the little things in my life. The day-to-day stuff. Naomi, my daughter, brought that up. Like, does he really care what toothpaste I use? The people that I talk to, those little things. So I have some doubts. Some of them are funny and some of them are big. And some of them are small and some of them touch my heart. But it's this slew of things when I actually stop and realize, like, do I actually doubt God at times? And is that okay? And the reason that we're bringing this up, we're going to continue on. We've been going through Luke. We started at the beginning of chapter 24. And today's passage is the 33 through 41. And what we're going to see is that, that sometimes doubt is okay. And doubt can be really good. So let's pick it up, verse 33. It says, they got up. These are the two that were walking with, with Jesus. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I found some irony. Here he is, and they go, all right, let's go back. So they immediately walked the seven miles straight back. What did they find? They found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. The greatest miracle of all of humanity has just happened. And they're getting aware of this. They're getting excited. It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Can you have, do you have anything to eat? This part where they say they still didn't believe it, it's one of those, if you ever have a little bit of extra time and you have some tears that you need to get out, one of the best things you can do is go up on YouTube and look up military reunions with either spouse or kids. Some of you may have seen these videos before. It's the military members who have been, they do it at ball games, they do it at their school, and it just makes me cry every single time I watch it. But it's that idea of, I can't believe that you're actually here. I've wanted you to be here for so long, and here you are in front of me, and it's this amazement. Scripture there says, because of the joy and amazement. And it's kind of that moment of, I just can't believe it. Um, so what are some of the things that cause us to doubt Jesus? I want to unpack some of this because I want to humanize or make, I want to normalize is the word I'm looking for, the idea that it's okay to doubt at times. We don't just stay in our doubt, but when doubt comes, it's a normal, natural thing for us. So the first thing is I want to look at is it's our humanity. One of the things that causes us to doubt that, it's our humanity. In many ways, we're following after many of the humans that have gone before us. And we see it all throughout Scripture, and we're going to highlight some of those today. The first one we want to look at is Gideon. You can write him down. Gideon's a unique character. I got really excited as I was restudying this. I've always wanted to name one of our boys Gideon, um, but it just had never happened. Um, So as I studied through this, it was really intriguing to me. So the story of Gideon is for seven years, the Israelites, this is in the book of Judges, the Israelites had been under persecution of a group called the Midians, or the Midianites. For seven years, they'd been driven out of their homes. They were living in caves. And a lot of them started to look around and go, Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to help to the Lord. So God comes down and he helps them. 
they realized the leaders in the country at that time had turned away from God. They were worshiping other gods, and they had turned away from the true God. But an angel of the Lord came down and met with Gideon. I would love it sometimes if an angel would just show up and be like, here's what you need to do. Like, it would make things a lot easier for me, I think. But here's what he says. He says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Awesome. Like, thank you for coming and letting me know that. Gideon's response is what? It's one of doubt. He says, please, Lord. I don't know if this was sarcastic. That's just my probably sarcastic mind that reads into this. But it was probably just a simple question. He says, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He's going back to all of those times where Israel would turn away and God would remind them, didn't I bring you out of Egypt? And he's questioning that here. He says, but now the Lord has forsaken us and give us, given us over to the hand of Midian. He's doubting God's goodness in this. This does not sound like the good start when you're wrestling or debating with God as far as what is going to happen next. Sword and raise it up and say, all right, here we're going to go. But no, he doubts it again a second time because God then says, isn't it me that's sending you? And Gideon says, it can't be me. I am the weakest. Look at our tribe. It says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So two excuses. One is my people, his tribe. It was very important. The tribes were kind of ranked, and they looked at this tribe to be the weakest. And not only that, but then inside of your house, the firstborn, the secondborn, there was a rank and order of who was important in the family at this time. And Gideon looks around and says, I'm the lowest in my family. And the tribe that I'm a part of, we're nothing. It can't be me. He's doubting that God is wanting to send him. How many of us this morning are doubting that God is wanting to use you? Maybe you say, I'm too old. Maybe you say, I'm too young. For some of you youngsters in the back. God is wanting to use each of us. But we use these excuses, right? Doubt creeps in. We have all these excuses of why it can't be me. We need to move past that. But here's what God said. He said, if, if now I have found favor, sorry, this is what Gideon said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks with me. So Gideon kind of tests God. He says, if it's really you, then I get some meat, and he gets some unleavened bread, and there's also some broth, and he pours it on top of it and puts it on a rock. And he says, show me a sign that it's really you who's talking to me. And the angel of the Lord takes his spear, he walks over it, and he sticks it onto the rock. And fire comes out of the rock, and it consumes the bread and the meat that's been drenched in this broth. Now at this point, it's becoming a little more clear, right? If you're Gideon, like, okay, starting to believe it. And that's the irony of this verse. It says in verse 22, then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Like, like in some ways, like, way to go, Gideon. Like, you're getting this figured out. So now we get to move on, right? Now, like, now all of his doubts are gone. No, like, then we keep going into the story, and Gideon starts to rise up, and God tells him, you need to tear down all these altars. You need to go through and all these altars that were for other gods. You need to tear them down. So he does that, which makes everyone else really angry because they had grown accustomed to giving all of this um, sacrifice and worship to these other gods. So they get angry with him. And he did it at night because he was afraid. So it comes time to attack the Midianites. 
and defeat them. God calls him to that. And Gideon says, wait one more time. What I need to have happen is I want the ground to be dry in the morning, but I'm going to lay out a fleece. I'm going to put this fleece out, and what I want is, like, what are we, what's happening here? Like, you've already dealt with some of this, right? Like, I'm starting to realize, oh my gosh, this is me. I can see a parallel here of the doubts that come up. I think God tells me to do something, and I step out, and it really seems clear. And then the doubt starts to creep in a little bit. Well, what happened the next morning? Gideon goes out, the ground is dry. He picks up the fleece, he wrings it out. There's enough water in the fleece to fill a bowl. So it's like, okay, I got it, right? Like, we can move forward. And he goes, this is what he says. He says, don't be angry with me. Let me make one more request. So he's like still bartering with God. How is this like my life? Where he says, I want the ground to be wet, but I want the fleece to be dry. He reverses it. He's like, it wasn't quite good enough the first time. Let's see if this is going to be better. Wakes up the next morning. There's dew all over the ground, and the fleece is dry. And that's what it took for Gideon to rise up in strength. But there was doubt there. There was a humanity there that I want us to remember. Next character that we want to look at is David. And what we're going to look at is Psalm 13. Here's David, who is a man after God's own heart. A man who truly walked with God. And at different points in his life, at one point he was being chased by the king, King Saul. is trying to kill him, throwing spears and arrows at him. Later in his life, he's being chased by his own son, Like, this is a man who owned a person in all of Israel. But here's what David cried out. This is Psalm 13. We're going to read 1 through 4. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, in my sorrow, in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here's a man who's being persecuted and chased. This may be while he was in the cave. We're not sure when he wrote it. Hiding. But whatever it was, David was overcome. And he had doubts. God, are you there? I want you to pay attention to that. What are the doubts that you have? What are the areas in your life where you're going, God, are you really going to come through here? As we continue on, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah are a peculiar bunch. They were almost 90 and 100 when God told them, by the time I come back and see you next year, you're going to have a baby. See, God had promised that that he was going to create a nation through them. And at 90 and 100, they, Sarah hears God. She's in the tent next door. And she just chuckles. She just laughs. And is like, the word she says, am I worn out? And my Lord is old. Shall I have any pleasure? Like, to her, it was kind of a joke. Like, there was so much doubt. And why wouldn't there be? Right? Like, let's not judge that. If I'm in that situation, like, of course I'm not thinking that there's going to be a baby that's coming. Like, you've got to be kidding me, Right? Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a sad story. If you've never read Jeremiah, um, you should, because it's a very human story. And Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 27 through 9. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You were stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. 
Everyone mocks me. Jeremiah was a prophet of God. And everyone knew that. The words that he spoke were coming from God. And yet he was mocked. And he was a laughingstock. Can you imagine if every day when you showed up to work, everyone just started laughing at you? You're a fool. You're an idiot. You don't know. You're like, I'm not sticking around there. But this went on for decades for Jeremiah because he knew he was called. But there's some question there. There's some doubt brewing. He's like, am I doing the right thing? He says, I cry out and I shout violence and destruction for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach. He's starting to settle in. Like there's lots of characters who are struggling with doubt. And that's what I'm trying to stir up. Like, is doubt okay? Is it okay when we doubt God? One of the last ones I want to look at, and there's many more, but is just Thomas. So we're going to read a parallel um, portion of Scripture to the first one that I read um, through the walk through Emmaus after they were done and they went back. So it says this. This is John 20, 24 through 31. It says, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands... And put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Stop doubting and believe. It took Thomas the ability to put his hand, his fingers inside Jesus' hand to touch his side where the spear had gone in because he had seen what had happened and he didn't believe that Jesus had come back. But God didn't condemn him. It wasn't a, how dare you doubt? It was simply an invitation to come and see him, to touch him, to experience him. And then you don't have to doubt. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to experience God for some of those doubts to be relieved. Now, I'm not excusing doubt. Some of you may be wondering, why is he condoning this? The idea is not that I'm condoning or saying that we should doubt. It's just merely a normalization that there are doubts. And we don't need to necessarily just push them aside without actually stopping and bringing God into them. So making it personal, one of the things that I doubt, we, for those of you that don't know, many of you do, but we just had our 11th child this year. And part of what's driven that decision over the years for me, just being real, is the idea that if, if I were to ever not just trust God, that somehow he would be unhappy with me. That if I were to take that decision into my hands, that God would not be satisfied. He would not feel doubt. There are things where we look to God and say, why is this happening? And God wants to meet us there. He wants to meet us. I talk to the kids. Um, sometimes I teach Sunday school. And I talk to them about those times when we 
we know that we should believe something, um, but we can't see it. So I talk to them about wind. I say, we can't see the wind, right? Like, do you believe in wind, though? Who here believes in wind? Everybody? You see the effects of the wind, but you can't see it. Another one is love. Love is a great example of something that you have to have faith in. Because you can't see love. You see acts of love. But there is this thing inside of us where it's like, wow, I love that. Um, Antarctica. Who's been to Antarctica? I hoped to pick the hardest place that maybe someone has never been to. But most of us believe in Antarctica, right? Like, it is there. It's a real place. And it's because we've seen pictures or we've read stories or different things like that. So although we've never seen it, we can still believe in it. So our second thing that I want to look at, and it's some of the things that hold us back from, and not hold us back, some of the things that cause us to doubt Jesus. There's no room for mystery for some of us. That's what I was just talking about. It's this faith thing where sometimes we need to just step out in faith and believe it, even though we don't have an absolute knowledge of something being real. There's no room for the mystery. There's lots of times through Scripture where it talks about it being a mystery. Um, where we see this is 1 Corinthians 13, 12. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So it's this idea of, is, are you so attached to needing to know all of the answers before you'll get rid of any of your doubts? Are you able to sometimes take that step and say, God, I trust you. I don't see the whole situation and I don't understand why you're wanting me to do this, but I'm going to step out and I'm going to believe. A good quote from a pastor, John Ortberg, he says, sometimes a person is tempted to think that I can't become a Christian because I still have doubts. I'm still not sure. But as long as doubts exist, as long as the person is still uncertain, that is the only time for faith where faith is needed. When the doubts are gone, the person doesn't need faith anymore because knowledge has come. So in some ways, are we waiting for God to give us so much knowledge and, and certainty on an issue that we're trying to take the faith side of it away? I don't want us to do that. We're called to faith. Our third way that we are to blindly believe desire. I judge myself at times when a doubt comes up. It's like, ah, you should never even have doubts. You just need to believe, and if you believe hard enough, then those doubts won't be there. And I've found for my life that not to be true, that I can try all I want to put those doubts aside, but if I don't deal with it, invite God into it, and I just get this like blinders on, like I've just got to believe, just believe, try harder, that it doesn't work very well. Philip Yancey, a famous author, wrote, Meanwhile, in those deep doubts, these were his doubts, those deep questions, if they don't get answered in a satisfactory way, and the church turned to him and told him, don't doubt, just believe. He says, but if you don't really resolve the doubts, they tend to resurface in a more toxic form. Sometimes it's not appropriate to just put the doubts aside and say, I'm not going to deal with you. Like, pretend like it's not there. Now, if we're intentional about it and we're taking that thought captive and we say, listen, I'm doubting you, God, but I'm going to put this aside in faith for you, that's different than what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are those times where we just kind of go, I'm going to ignore you, like, I shouldn't be afraid of this, and I'm going to leave it over here. So it's not the rejection of doubt, but there's a danger there. Yeah. We need to read, if you're curious about creation and you have never really studied it 
then you need to read about it. You need to find some books about it. You need to talk to some other people about it. If you doubt that God really created the, the world in six days, then you need to dig into it. Don't just put it aside. If you doubt that God is really good, then we need to read up on that. There needs to be a press in rather than that. So how do we healthily respond to doubt? Those are some of the things that come up. There's many more. There's lots of reasons why we have doubts. But I want to give us a few things that we can do to healthily respond to doubt. And the first is this. It's to focus on God. I've found that when my focus isn't on God and it's on other things, that's when doubt can creep in. Easy for those doubts to slide in, right? Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, if it's not easy, it's not Jesus? That can get overused because some things in when you're studying God can be hard. But God broke it down. They came to him. They said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? They were trying to like simplify it. He said, love God and love others. That's a paraphrase. It's on the door before you walk in here. Sometimes it is that simple. What are we to do? We're to love God and we're to love others, right? It's that focus on God here. So let's look at some of these characters. The first one I want to look at is Peter. I love Peter. Courageous. So the story here is in Matthew 14. Many of you know it. Um, but it's this, Jesus sends all the disciples out into a boat. And there's a storm there. He knows the storm's going to be there. And in true Jesus fashion, he goes, I'm going to walk out to them in the water. Why he chose to do that, who knows? But he comes walking, and what happens? They think they see a ghost. And Peter calls out to him, what? And he says, if it's really you, God, then tell me to come out there. Like, put your money where your mouth is. And Jesus is like, come on, let's go. Like, let's see what you've got. So Peter's like, all right, I'll do it. So he gets out of the boat, and he comes walking over to Jesus, and he's walking. Peter's walking on the water. This is a human being like you and me, and he is walking on the water. Let's not forget the craziness of this story. This really happened. And what happens? He sees the storm, and he sees the wind, and he begins to sink. And he's right near Jesus because Jesus reaches down and he grabs him. And what does Jesus say? He says this. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were doing it. It's because he was human. But when Peter was focused on God, when he was focused on Christ, he was able to do something pretty miraculous, something that none of us have ever done. Well, I I assume that none of us have ever done. Who else? Let's look at Mary. Mary's the next one. This is Jesus' mom that comes in. So this is Luke 1, 34. Mary said to the angel, the angel had come down and explained that she was going to be pregnant. And the PG version, because there's some kids in the back, like Mary knew that that was physically impossible up until this point. Like someone had told her either in her sex ed class that she had taken or just somewhere through time, she'd figured out, okay, that's how that works. That's never happened to me. So like there's got to be doubt there, right? So this is her response to the angel, because the angel's like, no, it's going to happen. She's like, how is this to be since I'm a virgin? There's doubt there. And it's innocent. I don't think she was like, there's no way. But there's doubt. There's a question that arised. Like God told her that something's going to happen, and her natural response was to doubt it, to question, to get more information out of it. And here's what it is. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. 
And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Catch this part. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me, a of us would be asking, like, are you sure that's going to happen? Like, let's make sure. We may not get this verse where we get to hear from the angel that nothing is impossible to God. So the doubt came up. We get to hear the truth where God gets to remind us nothing is impossible for me. And then what's Mary's response? It's beautiful. She says, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it happen. Her response was to focus back in on God and say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. David, we're going to end what we were starting earlier. So we read through Psalm 13, and this is where David was able to turn his focus back to God. David's crying out to God, like, I am so overrun. My enemies are there, and he's reaching out. So let's read what four and four through, sorry, 5 and 6 say. It says this at the end of that psalm. It says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So David did. He brought his whole heart. He said, God, I doubt it. I doubt that you're going to come through in this moment. It feels impossible to me. And he brought all of that. He didn't hide from it. He said, here's my doubt. He says, but, but I trust in you. He's changing his mind. He's refocusing on God. He's bringing God into this doubt. And that's the chain in Ephesians 4. As you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. That's that doubting self. We put it off. We look at it. We bring it to God. We say, God, I doubt. We hold on to it. We move it there. And once we put it off, and it's that old self, it says, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, we be made new in the attitudes of our minds. We let God change our mind to change the narrative of what's happening in our life. And we are to then be created to be like God in true righteousness. We move like David did. We doubt, we change our mind, and then we move into the truth. God, you are faithful. You are going to show up. You are going to change. Nothing is impossible for you. We can move in power and strength and quickness in there. Beautiful. Another verse, James. James points it out really well. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not be expected to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So church today, where do you feel tossed around? Where is the world just slamming up areas of your life where you just you feel like you're drowning you feel like you can't get on top of it that it's just too much for you is there some doubt there are you including god in it or are you trying to do it on your own maybe it's finances or that wave wave after wave after wave or it's like our van just died all right god what are you going to do the engine went out and then my car wouldn't start and then, and then, and before long, I'm getting spun up in my head thinking, what did I do? Like, is there something that I'm doing wrong? And all the while, I believe God's just saying, Joel, be with me. Come and be with me. And as I did that and included him, he's finding us a new vehicle. 
I'm stepping closer and I'm able to walk with him through this. For some of you, it may be contentment. Are you content with where God has you right now? Can you just walk with God in this moment and say, God, I'm with you. And not worry about what needs to happen in the future so that X, Y, and Z looks different. Can you just be content with God for the minute? There's a picture that showed up on my Facebook feed this week. It's 10 years old. It's when our boy Samuel was born. And the caption of it was, there were six kids in the picture. He's our sixth. The caption of the picture was, when I wrote it 10 years ago, was, that's a lot of math. I had no idea what was coming, right? Like, but Alicia put, put something on there. She said, that was pretty overwhelming. That was one of the most overwhelming parts of our life. Josiah was six years old. He's our oldest. There's six kids, right? Like six kids, six years old and younger. I had a lot of doubts that God was going to come through. But you know what God did? We've never missed a meal. Never. Never once. We've never missed a payment on our houses. He has always come through. So even though I doubted and I wondered, like, God, I, I don't see how this is coming. He always came through. So what's another way? Another way that we can... We can healthily respond to our doubt. And that's to celebrate and welcome your doubts of Jesus. To use your doubts to turn your heart to God. And I switch this because some of it's because if someone's reading this later, I don't know why I did. Probably some fear there. How do I ask you to celebrate your doubts? That's what was tripping me up. Because some of you may look at it and say, I'm never going to celebrate doubt because it's wrong. And I agree with you. But what I want to show you is that it's a celebration of the humanity side that we are and to celebrate when those doubt comes that it's another opportunity to, for you to meet with God. When a doubt creeps in and you go, I don't know if I can deal with this. Not another chance to wrestle with you in something. You guys know that line, the, the old song, it's put me in coach, I'm ready to play, right? That's what I'm looking at with this is when that doubt comes, it's like, no, like I'm going to step into this. I'm going to look at this, and that means I've got a chance to wrestle with God. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit at men's breakfast yesterday, another plug for some of the community stuff that we do. Um, it was awesome because I didn't talk with Corey about what he should do, and the whole message was on, was on Jacob, and then that was already in my message as I was preparing. Jacob is another one of these peculiar fellas where his name means deceiver, and a lot of his life he went around deceiving others. He straight up stole his older brother's birthright, which was very important for a bowl of porridge. I mean, that's how I see it. Like, brother came in, he was hungry, and he was like, I'm not giving you any soup unless you give me your birthright. And I don't know what Esau was thinking, but he was like, all right, I'm pretty hungry. Like, I'll take the stew. So he, he gets that. Later on, he goes on to steal his brother's blessing. So Abraham, Isaac, Isaac's getting ready to die, and he needs to bless his son. It was something they did in their culture we're near the end of life. They blessed the one that was coming next. And Jacob downright deceived both his dad and his brother and took that blessing onto himself. Why is this in the Bible? If the Bible was, was like, if you're trying to like keep stuff, because here's straight up deception. And yet God, chills, God still chose, I don't know why, to honor this blessing that was given to him. But later on in life, so Jacob leaves after he does this because Esau says, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> he's finally had enough. He's coming after him. So Jacob flees for a long time. 
And he realizes one time after his family was, was there, he had lots of family members, lots of everything. He had been blessed. But he separated his family out. And he moved part of his family here and the other part over here. Because if Esau came with all of his tribe, they were going to kill him. So he thought in his mind, like, maybe I'll just leave some of my favorites, like, hidden. Like, I don't know why, like, which group he left over in this other one. But Esau's coming. And that night, Jacob wrestled with God. And this is the idea of welcoming those doubts. Jacob was so interested in blessing that he wrestled with God all night. It says that the angel or God came and they touched him in the hip. He forever had a limp because of that. And that God and the angel said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. He wanted God's blessing so much did not have to deal with that doubt that he reached out and he wrestled with God. So that's what I want us to do. I want us to be able to take those doubts that we have and welcome them to 2441. And while they still not and while they still did not believe, it was because of joy and amazement. They see Jesus, right? He's back. He did what he said he was going to do, and many of them still couldn't believe it. I still can't believe that. And this one's powerful to me. I found this in Jude 22. What happens when we're doubting is that Jude 22 says that we're to be merciful with those who doubt. That's where this weird blend of, is it a sin to doubt? Is it not? Where do we find this? Well, Scripture tells us right here to be merciful to those who doubt. Can we be merciful to the unbelievers that we know, our coworkers, when they have doubts and questions? When someone says, I don't know if I believe in your God, is your first response to rise up and try to like win the argument? Or are you merciful with them and say, I understand? There's a lot of reality of why it would be hard to believe some of these stories. Are we merciful to them? Are we merciful to our kids? This one's for me. When they have questions, do I show up with mercy? And the last person that I want you to know is that you need to be merciful with yourself. It's clear from Scripture that we are to be merciful with those who doubt. So when you doubt, be merciful with yourself. Treat yourself like Jesus would treat you, welcoming you in. There's still a welcoming of it. This beautiful story. There was a son, um, a father and a son, and his son had an evil spirit in him. And they, they brought him to Jesus. And when the son saw Jesus, the spirit reacted and it basically, it sounds like what would be a seizure, where he fell to the ground and he was shaking and he was foaming at the mouth. And the father said, if there's anything that you can do to help us, if it's at all possible, please help heal my son. And Jesus' response is beautiful. It says, if you can, he was responding like, Jesus, if you can do this. He's like, if I can, all things are possible for those who believe. All things, that was his response to them. And here was his reply, which I think all of us can hold on to. It says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Because oftentimes we believe, but there's still an unbelief. There can be a disconnect. So hold on to that scripture. Remember, ah, okay, God, I do believe, but then help me with this part that's still struggling that I'm unbelieving in. And let's tie this all in. Gideon, at the end of all of that, so we talked through like 
doubt, 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 and God just kept coming through. God did something miraculous. God said, I have seven years of persecution. And he said, I want you to gather all of the men that you can, and we're going to get the biggest army that we can, and it's going to be great. So 32,000 soldiers show up. And God was like, hold on one sec. I really want to show you people who's the one in charge. Because 32,000 people is a lot, and if you guys go out and win, it may not look like I had much involved with this. Like, you may want to take this credit for yourself. So he says, go through the whole, all the people and say, anyone that's doubtful or fearful or doesn't really want to even be here, just go home. Immediately, 22,000 people go home. So there's 10,000 now left. And Gideon's probably looking like, why, why did we just get rid of that many people? Like, what's the deal here? So he says, no, that's not quite enough yet either. Because 10,000, you still may feel like you had a big part in this. What I want you to do is go down to this body of water, and I want you to, we're going to run a test. I want you to have them all take a drink. So some of them got down on their hands and knees, and they drank, it says, like a dog. And others scooped up the water like this. He said, I want you to separate them out, and we're going to send one of those groups home, right? And Gideon's hope probably thinking, I hope it's the bigger group like that gets to stay. Well, out of that 10,300 men actually scooped the water up. And God was like, we'll use those 300 because I want to show you how powerful I am. And they broke into town. And we're going to defeat this army, this whole people that have kept us in, in, like, in not slavery, but they've just kept us held down for seven years, right? 300 is a good number to do. Well, God was miraculous, and he did it. And that's what God wants, is even though we have those doubts, God's going to be the one that's victorious. Abraham and Sarah, we talked about them. God was victorious in their life. He came through. She had a baby, and then all of the nations that came. You you know the song, Father Abraham. Like, God came through. And then Jeremiah. Jeremiah, we actually sang a song that had some of it today. I thought it was beautiful. So here's Jeremiah, the man who's being mocked and ridiculed for decades for being God's prophet, right? At the end of that, the part that I read earlier, he says, if I say that I will not mention God, I will not mention him or speak any more of his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah knew that if he stopped saying what God wanted him to do, that it would be too much. It would overwhelm him. And he couldn't stop because God had put a fire in there. And he wanted to go. So here's our final scripture. Jesus, before he left, I want you to get the, or just the normalization of it. So this is right before he goes. This is, um, it's Jesus' final call to the disciples The Great Commission is what it's called. He says, The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. These were the eleven. These weren't just like random people who had run into Jesus. These were the eleven who had followed him through everything. Who then at this point had watched him die and rise again, and he had spent several other times with them to this point. And some of them still doubted. This should be a clue to us that doubt is part of our humanity. And Jesus then said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So church, what is your doubt today? What are you doubting? What is so big that doesn't feel like God's going to show up for you? Is it a healthy doubt? Is it a healthy doubt in that it's causing you to go towards God or have not sitting well with you and you're not including God in it? My prayer for us is that we will look at all of those doubts, welcoming them, inviting God into it. Reminding ourselves to focus on God. So that's what I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we will go away changed to invite you into our doubt. That we will look to you in those times of trouble and remember what your promises say. We will remember that nothing is impossible for you. That you moved in all of these different people's lives. I thank you that just like they were human, that Gideon needed to know he didn't feel worthy, and I don't often feel worthy. He needed to know that you were there for him, that you were really calling him. And you gave grace for that. You didn't condemn it. You still worked with him. You worked in an imperfect person. So, Father, I pray that you work in all of these imperfect people. That we may be doubting your goodness. We may be doubting that you even exist. We may be doubting. I thank you that you do care. That you didn't just walk away. That you sent your son Jesus to come and take our place so that we can live with you forever. I welcome my doubt this week, and I'm going to invite you into it. Because I don't want to doubt. I want to know that you are true. I want to walk with you the rest of my days. Be with us this week. In Jesus' name.